Is everyone here? Shall we just start? I feel kind of funny standing behind this thing. Everyone by definition is here. <laughs> if you're not here, raise your hand. <laughs> awesome. So do you want to talk about that first? Do you want to talk about where these logos came yeah. from? Is it annoying to have them uh, going no, it's around, cool. around, around behind me? So, uh, we have short attention spans anyway. Okay. <laughs> Let, let's talk about Bert and the logo for a second. So, Bert Kersey, who started Beagle Brothers um, in 1980, but as he liked to say, who remembers when he when he liked to say that he started the company? Let's see if I can find it there. Yeah, right there. <laughs> That's when he started the company. Now I got to translate. <laughs> Believe it or not, I woke up. I was dreaming about this number the other night. I was thinking too much about legal stuff. So he was a graphic artist in San Diego. He worked for a lot of different companies, but he worked for a company called Food Maker. Can everyone hear me all the way in the back? If I start fading off, uh, tell me to get louder and I will. Food Maker, they own Jack in the Box and a couple other restaurant chains. He just did graphic artwork for them. He programmed a big board at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. And I think that first got him thinking about programming. And in fact, his first computer was a Radio Shack computer. Who remembers what those were called? Trash. Trash 80s. He bought a Trash 80. It broke three times in the first two weeks. So he took it back, and he almost bought a pet. Who remembers who made the pet? Commodore. Commodore. Very good. Um, and uh, for whatever reason, he thought, okay, I'll buy an Apple II. And, and the Apple IIs that were in the store that he could buy were the old integer basic Apple IIs. No disk drive, cassette tape. Who here has ever used a cassette tape on an Apple II? Fine, huh? <laughs> and... Um, he was just having so much fun with it, he, uh, he describes what happened next as two big moves. Big move number one was quitting his day job and playing with the Apple II all day. You can imagine how thrilled his wife was. <laughs> Bert and Sharon don't have any children, but nonetheless they had a nice home in San Diego with, I'm sure, a big mortgage on it. Uh, California homes aren't cheap for those of you who have lived there or are living there. So um, she also wasn't thrilled when she'd come home from a full day at work and find out that all he had accomplished was drawing a blue low-res cow or something equally <laughs> thrilling. Um, but nonetheless, he continued to play with it. And uh, he came up with uh, his tips, his Apple tip book. And he took out an ad in Creative Computing. I think he said it cost him about $300, maybe it was $350, which would be unheard of today. And uh, he, he also had another book that he had read before doing that about how to make money uh, in direct sales. And it said, include an offer for something for free, and do this to make it stand out, and do that to make it stand out. And uh, I had one of those ads to bring with me, but I don't think it made it into my folder. I'm sorry. I went through so many things to try to decide what I could uh, sneak in and bring. Let me just double check. I have the very first or the very second ad. You may or may not have seen them online. Anyway, took out the ad and 
people started requesting what he had. No, talk on it, I'm sorry. You're thinking, this guy's as unorganized as a programmer. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> I resemble that remark. Uh, oh, wait. Saved. See that command chart offer, that little ad right there? Uh, if I had an overhead projector, actually, we can pass that around. I want to pass it around, everybody take a look at it. Uh, started getting orders, and uh, he had little programs, and he had, of course, integer, basic, and a cassette, and about 80% of his requests were for AppleSoft and disk, of which he had neither, so he had to scramble and, and uh, upgrade his computer. And... <clears throat> People started asking for utilities. Bert happened to know Roger Wagner, who many of you know, and started him thinking about utilities. And I think he read in a magazine article somewhere you could, um, he figured out what a no-op was. Bert didn't know machine language assembly code. He just knew if you stick an EA in here and there, it'll do funny things. And so he started doing that in DOS to see what it would do. And then he found where the strings for commands were and then you could change those, and he created DOS Boss. And his sales went from a couple hundred products a month to over a thousand products a month, almost overnight. Um, back to the logo. Because he was a graphic artist, let's say logos. He found these two great heads, put them together, and uh, his original logo said Beagle Boys, O-Y-S. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard this story? Raise your hand if you have. Oh, you have. Oh, okay. Carl's heard it. So who knows who the Beagle Boys are? Carl probably knows. Disney characters. Disney characters. And so when he went to his attorney to get it trademarked, his attorney said, are you crazy? <laughs> Disney will sue your pants off. <laughs> so you gotta change that. But he already had the logo designed, he loved it, didn't wanna change it. And so he thought and thought and thought and uh, decided, hey, I can stick an R-O in there where the O-Y was, it'll be Beagle Bros. And that explains why there's really not a period after the bros in Beagle Bros. I mean, everyone who knows anything about Punctuation knows there should be a period after bros. And, uh, you know, occasionally over the history of Beagle Bros, uh, a period did sneak in here and there when someone else was doing the work, like uh, some outside firm, but, but technically there never ever was a period. And also technically it never ever has been Beagle Brothers, it's always been Beagle Bros. So there's a little bit of trivia for you. So, um, how did you? Well, he, he liked the Beagle Bros. He thought those Disney characters were cool. I mean, he, you know, he knew about the Disney characters. Oh, oh, oh. In fact, I have a framed cartoon of the Beagle Boys, sorry, not for the boys, at home that Bert gave me uh, that's way old. Um, that was one of his favorites from the Beagle Boys. And he knew that someday he wanted to have a company named Beagle Boys. It's a term put the kibosh on. Did he design the text for the logo himself? Yeah, yeah, he did it all. Wow. Um, and in fact, the, this other really nice one, what I call the life preserver with color. 
he did the basic design of it and then turned it over to another graphic designer to finish it off. Um, you know, it's, it's a life preserver. In the graphics world, this is called a hot dog. And then this diamond underneath here is really a floppy disk. I'm sure you've all noticed it. <laughs> 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 so, another one of his creations. Uh, interestingly, uh, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna skip ahead in my thoughts for a moment. Microsoftware. Uh, for those of you that are really sharp, you'll notice, actually I should just select all of them. I can go back and forth and see them. That would be much smarter with that. Why didn't somebody yell that out? Hey, stupid. <laughs> okay, that one says indoor sports. Well, you can't tell because all that stuff is in the way. So indoor sports, microsoftware, microsoftware, software. This was the second life preserver in color. Does anyone know why it doesn't say microsoftware? You like to pick on the big ones. There was a little company in Washington owned by a fellow named Bill Gates that had, a, had some heartburn over that. In 1987, when I bought the company from Bert, they came knocking on the door and uh, said, we think you're trying to trade off of our name. I said, what, are you kidding? <laughs> no one will ever confuse us with Microsoft. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we went round and round and round, and we got some concessions that we could sell everything in our inventory that had Microsoft on it, and they would give us some money to change all of our logos. And Anyway, just a, to me, a very funny little episode. They went after everyone who had Microsoftware in their name. There was a Smith. Microsoftware, I remember he called me in a panic one day and said, has Microsoft called you? What are you doing? Um, but it's like, okay, this is a micro computer. It's not a mini computer. It's not a mainframe. It's a micro. And this is software for it. So it's micro software. Anyway, they didn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they had no, no sense of humor and no. Microsoft. So, okay, let's leave uh, Bert and Beagle for a second and talk about me. That's enough about you, let's talk about me. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember as a child, I grew up in Virginia, born and raised. My dad was career Air Force. And um, I remember loving to tear things apart. And of course, there were no personal computers, even remotely. Uh, I was born in 1957. You know, so I tear apart uh, my bikes, the radio, the transistor radio, the clocks, uh, various things. And uh, I'm not as good as Tony, so I didn't always get them back together. <laughs> uh, but I was a very curious young man. And I also, um, I was the third child of five children, but I was a middle ch I was the oldest boy. So I was a middle child and the oldest boy. And so my father being the strict military man that he was, there were very high expectations put on me. I think the combination of those high expectations and the curiosity of tearing things apart are what led me to love personal computers when I was first introduced to them. Um, I, uh, I, I got my bachelor's degree in computer science at BYU. While I was there, I had a business class that exposed me to the Apple II. The Apple II did not exist in the computer science department. We had IBM mainframes, the 360. I think we later had a, maybe a 370. We had a DEC 10 or two around and some other computers. 
but no Apple II. But I had this little business class that um, we had to write this program on this little computer called an Apple II. And it had a cassette, there was no disk drive. And uh, as I recall, the program I wrote, which makes sense because I was in college, was uh, a randomizer that would take uh, inputted names and line you up with different girls for different dances at a big dance that was being held on campus. Uh, but, but that exposure to the Apple II just totally hooked me. The hook got in deep. And, um, you know, I had access to Apple IIs at, at a lab on campus, even though none of my core curriculum required any interaction at all with it. Uh, I would go over there and play with it every opportunity I had. You know, I had classes in um, PL1, which I was talking about, uh, also PLC, Algol, um, Lisp, APL, Snowball, Fortran, COBOL, C, uh, so on and so forth. Um, using a variety of operating systems, but nothing with the Apple II. Um, in fact, allow me a side trip. For my junior year at school, I was a TA for COBOL and Fortran. Now, who do you think was learning COBOL in school? The business majors. Who was using Fortran? All the engineering, science. Who do you think I had more questions from as a TA? COBOL or Fortran? I had no questions. I, very few questions from the engineers doing Fortran. You know, they think logically, they get it. The COBOL, the business majors. Wow, one out of a hundred of those people understood programming. Plus, COBOL is not the best thing to program in the first place. Uh, but while I had that job, I noticed a job on the job board programming Apple IIs for the uh, College of Education Instructional Science Department. Another chance to play with Apple IIs and get paid for it. Uh, it was a job writing educational software for children. It, we used... Uh, it was Echo or Echo something speech synthesizers. Anybody remember those? Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we used Animatrix. Did anybody ever use that? That was my exposure to high-res graphics and, um, and editable characters. A lot of fun. That job was so much fun. But, uh, you know, all good things must come to an end. I graduated. I had a wife who was pregnant. I didn't know that people could make a living with the Apple II, so I took a job with GTE in Phoenix, Arizona. They have a big R&D lab that they've just opened there with about 600 programmers. I felt a lot like a little fish in a big ocean. Um, you know, we were, we were designing two digital telephone switches, the first ever, was before AT&T had their, this was the E something five, ours was the GTE five. We were doing a domestic version, an international version, and you know there must have been hundreds and hundreds of thousands of lines of code in this thing, and I was assigned my little area. Like I said, I was one little teeny spoke in this big uh, architecture that was happening, and it just it wasn't turning my crank, no pun intended. Uh, but uh, it was a job. I was about two months in. I found out that the company would loan you money to buy whatever you wanted. And I was having withdrawals for not having an Apple II, and so I got a loan from the company for whatever it was, $1,500. Bought an Apple II Plus mail order. I can't remember the name of the company I bought it from. And uh, it came 
I don't remember where, maybe it came with a disk drive. It had a disk drive. I think I bought a green screen locally and I was off to the races. I thought, um, I'm going to write the world's greatest computer game. And so I went through all, you know, everyone, all of you thought this? <laughs> Raise your hand if you thought you were gonna do this. You make a billion dollars. So I started coming up with ideas and started playing around writing a computer game in BASIC. <laughs> and then I realized, BASIC's not fast enough on this computer. And uh, even though I knew DEC 10 assembler and uh, some other assembly languages, I, had, I knew nothing about the 6502. Zero. I didn't even know that EA was a NOAA. Um, and so I, I went to a computer store and I bought a book by Rodney Zacks called Programming the 6502. You had that book? Oh, it was a great little book. So I devoured the book and I started disassembling everything I could get my hands on. <laughs> That's a great way to learn. Um, and uh, started playing around with various things in assembly language and realized I'm not ever going to write the next greatest game. And while I was in the computer store, I happened to notice these magazines. And I call Apple, Soft Talk, uh, Nibble, and other ones, uh, which I've, I've got a couple of, couple of them. Soft Talk Leaders Preview, January of '84, Nibble. Uh, from December of 87, soft talk from October of 83. Anyway, I saw these magazines, I was like, wow, there is a kind of a universe around this computer out there. And so I bought one of everything and then subscribed to everything and started devouring the magazines. And uh, I was looking at the ads and the articles and, and it reconfirmed to me, hey, I can, I can do what these guys are doing. Um, and so, you know, at work every day, I was using a, a big, fancy, gigantic, heavy IBM terminal uh, connected to a mainframe that could do 80 characters across, which is what a person would expect. And I'd go home and play with my Apple II and have 40 characters across. Yeah, I saw ads for those 80 column cards, but it was like, that's a lot of money. And I'm, you know, money's kind of tight. It was, the, it was uh, 81, 82. The economy was in the toilet, for those of you that remember those years. Interest rates were about 20%. Uh, I was grateful to have a job. Um, price of things was going up, so I thought, I can't afford that 80 column card, but on that high-res screen, it's 280 dots across. I think if I only allowed four pixels, including one for a space, I could get 70 characters across this screen. And so I created a program that I called SoftTerm. And um, sure enough, you get 70 characters across and 24 uh, rows and uh, nice little compact program in a single language that would hide itself uh, when you'd install it. And I thought, this is a great little utility. Other people have got to want it because you could program in it and run other programs in it. I'm gonna sell this sucker. And so I went through the magazines, and um, I noticed there was a company called Sierra Online. Who remember Sierra Online? Your online systems. Now. Online systems, yeah. Later became Sierra Online. Very good, I think. Um, I saw they had this word processor called, it was Superscribe or Screenwriter, I forget. It, 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 was it changed names. It was, it was initially. Uh, Superscribe? Yeah. And then it became Screenwriter? Right. And it had 70 characters across, and I thought, they stole my idea. Um, Interestingly, uh, Soft Talk, when they interviewed me, got that part wrong in the interview. But anyway, so I thought, 
okay, they stole my idea. I'm going to send it to them and see if they want to publish it. So I called them and said, do you sell software from outside authors? Yeah, maybe sometimes. So I sent it to them. And it seemed like forever. A couple of weeks went by, I called them again. Did you get my software? Do you want to publish it, sell it, make me a million dollars? I didn't say make me a million dollars. They said, we're thinking about it really hard. We've got so-and-so looking at it and somebody else is looking at it. And a couple more weeks went by and they said, uh, we've made our decision. We're not going to publish it. Oh, I was heartbroken. My first little precious baby that I had created, they had just stomped up and down on it. <laughs> so I let myself uh, wallow in the mire for about 15 minutes and went back to the magazine. Okay, who sells, that? Who sells utilities? <laughs> I found Beagle Brothers, Beagle Bros. I saw the ad for DOS Boss. This might be a good fit for that company. Saw the phone number, called them. Hello, Beagle Brothers. Uh, Sharon Kersey answered the phone, Bert's wife. And I said, do you sell software from outside offers? She said, we're thinking about it. They were a young company at the time. She said, send us your program with the documentation and uh, we'll get back to you. I said, okay, great, I'll do that. I have a phone. Documentation? What's <laughs> 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 documentation? <laughs> she wanted a user manual. I had nothing like that. I didn't even own a printer. Um, I have to show you something funny. I was going through some old files and found the receipt. Can you believe this? Am I a pack rat or what? The receipt from Computer Warehouse in Phoenix, Arizona for an Epson MX80 FT. Oh, yeah. $530 plus tax. What a ripoff! <laughs> <laughs> so I, I convinced my wife I had to have a printer and I had to have a word processor so I could create this great user manual that would convince these people to publish my software. So I, uh, I spent some time doing that, sent it off to Beagle Brothers. I mean, think about then versus now. I put it all on a floppy disk, put it in a package with lots of cardboard, and mailed it to them. We would no more think of mailing a program today than the man in the moon. It's just funny to think about how things happened back then. Sent it off to Beagle Brothers, immediately got a response in the mail from, from Bert Kersey. This is the first letter I ever got from Bert Kersey. I was so excited. Yeah, well, I, I don't anymore, but that's the way I did it then because I was so excited. I couldn't wait to get a letter opener. June 24th, 1982. I'm sorry you can't all see it up on the screen. Hello, Mark. I won't read you the whole letter, just the first paragraph or two. When I encounter a disc for review that looks sellable, I like to express my initial reactions. Soft term definitely looks sellable to me, so here goes. Basically, everything looks fantastic. All of your claims prove to be true, and your documentation is superb. <laughs> your demo is not bad either. I wish I could write a demo program that good. You know why he says that? I took the demo in DOSBoss and converted it for my 70 columns. It was his demo entirely converted to display in 70 columns. So he's kind of, he's kind of tweaking me back there. He goes on to tell me what he thinks is great and what he thinks sucks in my program. And the biggest thing that he said sucked was the name. He said, that's really close to some other things. It's forgettable. The one thing that I really, really, really learned from Bert Kersey was to pick a name that is memorable, 
maybe meaningful, and that, um, oh shoot, what was that, what was the third adjective? What's that? Unique. Yeah, something that stands out. You know, so Bert actually came up with the name Flex Text. And uh, from this letter, the end of June, uh, it very quickly, with a few more letters, these are all the letters that, that he sent to me over the next two or three months. He published it in November, and then it came out in the December catalog, which some of you have probably seen online. It's volume zero, number two, so it's the second catalog. Right here, Flex Text. By new Beagler, Mark Simonson. Oh, that just felt so good. <laughs> and you can see Pronto Doss on there, frame up from Tom Weiser. Did you get permission for any of this, or did you just ignore that? Did I get what? Did GTE's permission to do any of this, or did you just ignore that? You know, um, I was young and stupid. I, uh, I didn't know that I should have asked them for permission. I probably should have. They probably wouldn't have cared because. Uh, what we were doing in the lab there had absolutely nothing to do with 6502 or Apple IIs or anything. I didn't do it during work hours, although uh, before work every morning, after work every night, you know what I was doing. On my little green screen, <laughs> my wife thought she was not married for, for a lot of that time. Um, so very fun, exciting times for me. Let me just uh, look at my notes here to make sure I'm not forgetting some things that I wanted to, to hit with you. Oh, I forgot to share a funny thing with you. It, at the end of high school, you know you take those aptitude tests? When I went in to meet with the guidance counselor, she told me that based on my aptitude test, I should go into agricultural engineering. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fancy name for farming. I was trying to, was she trying to say that I should just be a farmer and I should just give up on everything else? I, I never did understand that. But I ignored her and I went in, actually went into mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, design technology, and then stumbled onto computer science. Now we'll never know. <laughs> yeah, now we'll never know. I might have been the world's greatest farmer. Or the world's worst, probably the world's worst. I was a city boy. I could not have been the world's greatest farmer. It just wouldn't have happened. That, was, that was not going to happen. Yeah. Well, isn't an agricultural engineer someone who gives farmers bad advice? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I like to think of it as like a sanitation engineer. So. Uh, let's see. Okay, let me refer back to these uh, magazines for a second. Who remembers this October 83 soft talk? <laughs> the only reason I remember it and still have it is because it says right there, Exec Beagle Bros. And there's a really nice little article in here. On whatever page it's on, 65, when it's 6502. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, uh, that was Beagle Bros back in late 83. So, yeah, he came out sometime during the summer. So, uh, shortly after Bert started selling Flex Text. Uh, in fact, a month after, in December of 82, he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. He knew that I needed a certain amount of money to live and uh, basically what I was making at GTE. And he and Sharon said, why don't you come out to San Diego, do our tech support, you know, answer the phones, help people with problems they have with our software or whatever else. Um, we'll pay you 
x will also advance you y. That will get you up to where your income is right now. And you know, when you're not answering the phone and helping people, you can just program your brains out. And it took me about 10 minutes, if that long, to realize that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to spend every waking minute programming the Apple II. Now that I knew it was possible to make a living programming the Apple II. It took me probably two weeks to convince my wife. <laughs> but in January, about the end of the third week of January of 83, we moved to San Diego and started down that path. And I never looked back. A year later, I convinced a good friend, Alan Bird, some of you may recognize his name. He was a friend both at BYU and at GTE to come out to San Diego. And I had a selfish ulterior motive. I wanted him to take over tech support uh, from me um, because they didn't have anybody else. And then I could really program full time. And Alan did that. He, he came out with some wonderful programs, a fat cat, decode, program writer. The list goes on. About to skip forward a little bit, uh, in about 85, Alan and I were getting a little big for our bridges, and we thought, let's go off and start our own company. So we started a company called the Software Touch. Anybody remember the Software Touch? Yeah, and it was also about the time that AppleWorks came out. And you could get you know, AppleWorks file formats from Apple. And so we developed a couple of programs that did something with those file formats, or at least I did. Alan actually uh, dug into AppleWorks a little bit and created a macro program called AutoWorks. Anybody ever here have AutoWorks? And Beagle also released a macro program at the same time called MacroWorks. And I came out with a little program called FontWorks, which would basically let you print AppleWorks files with different fonts, not very elegantly, not proportionally spaced, you did it outside of AppleWorks, so just take the file and do it after the fact. You couldn't be inside AppleWorks to do it. But there was a demand for that. And we started selling a few of these programs. And almost the exact same time that we came out with these, Bert and Sharon approached me and said, why don't you buy Beagle Brothers? And I was like, ha, ah, you're so funny. I can't afford Beagle Brothers. Are you crazy? Uh, but they kept coming back and coming back and coming back. And during that time, Alan as part of the discovery process for building his macro package for AppleWorks, figured out the way all of the internal workings of AppleWorks, basically, the way the segments were, were loaded and used. And, and he came to me and he said, we were partners in the software touch, it was the two of us plus a couple of other employees. He said, Mark, I have this great idea. I want to, to turn this into a software product that will allow people to write basic programs inside of AppleWorks. And I thought, basic programs are written by programmers. AppleWorks is used by people who really just buy applications and may or may not be a programmer. And I thought about it for, Alan went back to his office, I went back to my office. About 15 minutes later, I went into his office and said, Alan, I got a better idea. Why don't you create a programming environment that we keep proprietary and we create all kinds of cool programs that work inside AppleWorks? And we'll call it timeout, for lack of a better name. Sidebar, I hated the name timeout, even though I came up with it. <laughs> because it wasn't a true timeout. You were doing all of those things inside AppleWorks. So, so Alan agreed that that was the route we should take. He was going to write a spell checker, because AppleWorks had none and needed it badly. 
I was going to turn FontWorks into something that would print Macintosh fonts from inside AppleWorks. And you could switch fonts on the fly and embed graphics. And we started down that path. Bert and Sharon, for the umpteenth time, came back and said, why don't you buy Beagle Brothers? And for the umpteenth time, I said, I can't afford Beagle Brothers. I'd love to buy Beagle Brothers, but I can't. And um, I think it was a good friend of mine who was the attorney I ended up using said, why don't you do a leveraged buyout? And I said, a leveraged what? So he explained to me that it's a way that you can buy a company and pay for it over time. So we, I approached Bert and Sharon. They said, fine, as long as you hit the number, this magic number that we want to get for the company. And so in June of 87, June 1st as I recall, we sealed the deal. We were still working on timeout behind the scenes. Um, I knew that with Beagle's name, I would sell five to ten times as many timeout products as with the software touch. I also, in the meantime, got all of the Beagle programmers on board, and they were all working on timeout applications once we, once we had the, the, uh, the LOI in place with, with software touch and Beagle. Anyway, long story short, September of 87, the the first Apple Fest that had been held in a long time. There were Apple Fests before, but it had been quite a few years since there was an Apple Fest. I don't remember why. I remember going to one in 83 in Anaheim. 83? 83 or before, I think 83. And had a great time. And then 84, 85, 86, I don't remember any Apple Fest. Does anybody else? Like they fell off the face of the earth. Got word September of 87 there was going to be another big Apple Fest, this time in San Francisco. Perfect. We're going to introduce Time Out. Were you there? Uh, I brought a few pictures. <laughs> I had hair back then. I remember you now. <laughs> I didn't have wrinkles and didn't have gray hair. And you had a beard though, right? Uh, for part of the time I did. At that show, I don't think I did. Well, you were at other Apple Fest later. Yes. Yeah, I had a, I've had a beard off and on my whole life, my whole adult life. As a child, not much. <laughs> so this was our booth. We had, for us, it was a gigantic booth, 20 by 20. Uh, here's Bert actually helping. Bert had already sold the company to me in June. This is September. What a guy. He's there helping me set up the Beagle Bros booth to introduce Time Out and getting nothing for it, other than, of course, the money he's going to get down the road as I gradually buy his company from him. Rob Rinstrom, who wrote Time Out Graph, the spreadsheet graphing program, Randy Brandt in the background there, who wrote uh, MacroWorks and Time Out Open Macros. What's that? <laughs> There's uh, Alan Bird again. Liz Barella was our office manager. John Obrick was uh, one of our office workers and kind of a part-time programmer setting up the booth. Another show, blurry shots out of the booth um, the next day. I think it's wearing different clothes. This is uh, the show is going. People are in the booth. We had an amazing reception to uh, the timeout series. As you can see, we have them on the wall here, the original boxes, seven of them. You can't quite tell there's seven there. A couple more shots of the booth. And then all of us. I think some official Apple Fest photographer came by and shot that. <laughs> and this was after the show, having ice cream celebrating. <laughs> so, so we had these seven products. 
everything from, like I said, spell checker to fancy font printing to graphing spreadsheets, etc. Just tools, macros, on and on. Now, four of these products were completely done. Now, we were taking orders like crazy at the show for all seven products. Only four of them were done. Three of them were not completed. Two of them were mine. <laughs> One of them I was helping with. <laughs> Uh, so when we came back from the show, you can imagine I was at the office night after night after night. My wife and kids didn't see me unless my wife would bring the kids down to the office with dinner, have dinner around the little lunchroom table, and then they'd go home and go to bed and I would stay. I remember, I remember one stint, a hundred hours straight in my office chair, except for getting up to go to the bathroom, and doing this at the keyboard. It's got to finish these programs. I was also responsible for for pulling all the manuals together and getting them printed and doing the editing. I didn't write everybody else's manuals, I wrote mine, but I edited all of them, formatted them pretty for the printer, pasted them up. Anyway, it was it was a crazy time with uh, not enough sleep. I think the proof of not enough sleep is in one of the manuals. I, I, I should have tried to find that before I left home. There's a numbered list of things, a sequence of things that you should do and the numbers, instead of being one, two, three, four, five, are like one, two, two, three, four. <laughs> I was sleep deprived. Uh, what did you do for uh, beta testing? For timeout? Yeah. We did have some local beta testers in the San Diego area. Uh, one in particular, a fellow named Chuck Newby. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Chuck? Yeah. Yeah, we know Chuck. Yeah. Um, I have a picture of him somewhere. I don't know if I brought it with me. Uh, and a lot of other people. You know, we were involved in the local user groups there, and of course we all, as much as we could, beta tested each other's software. Except you were completely, time was taken up trying to write your own. Yeah, yeah, I didn't do much beta testing other than my own software. You know, and, and part of the reason that the timeout series went so big was all the other AppleWorks add-ons at the time were not really things that were very useful inside of AppleWorks, if you remember, not to slam them or anything, but you know, Pinpoint was a valiant effort, but it just didn't compare to what uh, we were able to do with Alan's little piece of genius code that let us sit inside AppleWorks as though we were part of AppleWorks and to use all of the, the capabilities that were built into it. Let's see. Oh, I wanted to show this. Yeah, the pressure was on for reasons like this. Let's see. Where did I put that? This little puppy. Um, we placed these ads, full-page ads, in all the magazines, bragging about all these great things we were going to be able to do. And so that was another reason that uh, the pressure was on after after Apple Fest, we were all completed in the city. So my pictures of her there, blocking that. And then, of course, after after that ad, and, and we said things like guaranteed, most advanced, <laughs> most powerful, fastest, easiest to use, guaranteed. <laughs> we didn't have an ego or anything. <laughs> Let's see, you probably remember these ads. Let's hold these up. Oh yeah. Pass these around if you want. That other one ever make it all the way around? If anybody cares to see those up close and personal. Let's see what else I brought. So we had a lot of fun with Apple Works, the timeout series. We eventually did ads. 
like these, a word from the wise, maybe you remember this one, with the seven timeout programs, and we quote people like Tom Weiser, editors from the magazines, just average users like Chuck Newby made it in here. Um, very boastful, not very humble at all on the things that we said here. <laughs> And then, Claris came out with this ad. I have, uh, I have some big posters of these oh, ads. Yeah. Remember this? The Porsche uh, without the wheels? No. You got a car. Oh. <laughs> What's that? That is it. That is it. That's the end? Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. They're saying basically, if you have an Apple without Apple Works, you have a car, a nice car without wheels, or something like that, right? Some Apple II owners still don't have Apple Works. See that up close and personal. So, I had the brilliant idea. I love parody and satire. We went down to a Porsche dealer and borrowed some wheels and took them to a <laughs> photographer and shot this one. It said, if you have Apple Works without timeout, you've got wheels and no car. <laughs> they were not really thrilled. <laughs> There was nothing they could do about it, though. Like we didn't infringe on any of their a trade dress or their trademarks or their intellectual property. But they got over it because uh, about the time that they wanted to do an AppleWorks 3, Timeout was built on top of AppleWorks 2.0, as you may recall. Uh, Bob Listener, whose real first name is what? Who knows it? Rupert. Rupert. Yeah, Bob Listener, who wrote AppleWorks uh, after he did three easy pieces for the Apple III. Uh, I guess he had so much money and so little time, they couldn't convince him to do AppleWorks 3.0. Um, or he wasn't interested for some other reason. I mean, very, very nice guy. I uh, have met him on a couple of occasions way back then. And, but he didn't want to do it. So Claris approached us and said, how would you guys like to do AppleWorks 3.0? And uh, Absolutely, I'd love to do it. Figured out the terms. You know, they wanted the built-in spell checker, uh, the spreadsheet grafting, some other things. I, I forget what of the timeout series they wanted in 3.0, but convinced all the programmers, I'll give you guys every penny they give me, and I'll keep a little bit of royalty on the back end from them. So we did AppleWorks 3.0, and uh, I didn't have time to find those ads, but if you remember when those ads came out, it was like a tennis shoe or something like that. And then they gave us those tennis shoes, exact same ones, and we shot them with like a foot and a sock in it, and it had, it had time out on the sock. So it was another play on it, like the car and the wheels, it was a tennis shoe and the foot and sock. That works 3-0 and time out go, you know, foot and sock and the shoe, handy glove kind of. Uh, so that was, we had a lot of fun doing that. Along about that time, I licensed all the Apple II software to quality computers. Uh, let's see. This was about when? This was about, I want to say 1990, but maybe plus or minus a year. About 1990. Uh, I knew Joe Gleason. I knew he was a smart, aggressive guy and that he would do the best with it. So I licensed it to him and he took care of all of the, I think he bought the inventory I currently had and he, he uh, reproduced it as he needed it after that. And he basically gave me a percentage of his business to do it. Because I wanted to focus on my next big thing, which was BeagleWorks, an integrated software package for the Macintosh. And 
we had actually worked on that inside Beagle off and on for a couple of years. Had gone a couple of different routes and finally really got everything on track in about 1990. And announced it to the world at Macworld 1991 in Boston, I want to say August or September of that year, whenever Macworld was. And turned a lot of heads. Uh, Claris also announced Claris Works at that Macworld. And, and uh, TML announced whatever their works package was. I forgot. What was theirs called? Anybody remember that? You're almost all Mac users, right? Everyone here got Mac? <laughs> uh, anyway. I can't remember what their product was called. Anyway, I, I knew Tom Leonard really well. Um, anyway, started selling lots of those, and then people started coming to the door of Beagle and saying, we want to buy this package. And I could see that even though Beagle, Beagle had a really big name in the Apple II world, we were almost a nobody in the Mac world. And the company that made the sweetest offer was WordPerfect. So I sold them BeagleWorks. They renamed it WordPerfectWorks for the Mac. And they wanted me with what they were buying. So that's when I moved from San Diego up to Utah. And uh, ended up helping them uh, start up a consumer products division built around WordPerfectWorks. We acquired a lot of other software and, and one or two other companies and, and built that division from one product to uh, somewhere between 20 and 30 products from uh, about 5 million in sales to over 100 million in sales. It was very heady. But at the end of two years of doing that, I was burned out. And so I retired. <laughs> I was, let's see, how old was I? It was 1994. I was 30-something. Uh, anyway, I, I just, I had been burning the candle at both ends for so many years, having so much fun programming that I needed some time off. And we, at that time, had four children. And my wife wanted to go back to school because when I graduated from BYU, um, she had not completed her school, but I ripped her away from there. So she went back to school, and I played Mr. Mom. If you ever get the chance to do that, I highly recommend it. I did that for four years. I'd get up in the morning, get the kids ready for school, make the lunches, send them out the door, clean up, go play golf. <laughs> then come home and uh, be there when the kids got home from school, help my wife with dinner and whatever and cleaning up. And uh, about, am I going way too long? I think you told me I had somewhere between 30 minutes and two hours. <laughs> is, this a, is this in the least bit interesting? Yes. 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 So this is a little bit of what happened to me after Beagle. Um, at the end of that four years, my wife had graduated. I was getting a little bit antsy. I had done a little consulting during that four years, not very much. I wanted to do something. I was reading the Wall Street Journal one day, which I had become addicted to uh, at GTE many years earlier. And there was an article about Gibson musical instruments wanting to expand. I've been a guitar player since I was nine years old. And at that time, only owned one Gibson guitar and thought, I want to go work with these guys. So it had a picture, you know, how Wall Street Journal does a little drawing. Now they have some real pictures. But back then it was just about little drawings. Uh, just kind of uh, anachronistic. Anyway, a drawing of the CEO in his name, which is was unpronounceable from the way that it looked. It's just words, but it has way more vowels and consonants than what I just said. I sent him a letter and said, here's what I've done. I told him about all the Apple II stuff I've done, the Macintosh. Uh, I've run some businesses. I would love to help you do whatever at Gibson. I think I can help you. I didn't expect to get an answer back. 
I got a response. He said, yeah, come out. I'd like to meet you. And one thing led to another, and it ended up getting me a one-year assignment at Gibson. Uh, helped them uh, buy a company called Opco. Do you remember that company? Yeah. And um, Chris, I forget the name of the CEO. Chris, Chris, Chris. Anyway, uh, help. Uh, I was given a few tasks. That was one. I had all of Gibson Entertainment, which means Gibson had some cafes. I was in charge of those. Building the factory of the future in Memphis, even though I was based in Nashville, um, just one block over from Beale Street, which if you're into music, you know all about Beale Street. And, and it was a very fun time, but unfortunately it only lasted a year. Came back to, uh, that was, so lived in Tennessee that year, made a big mistake, which I hope none of you have ever made, buying a home in Tennessee while I had one in Utah. Owning two homes is not fun. <laughs> and uh, anyway, I came back to Utah, I went back to Utah, and uh, a buddy was a CEO of a, a soft, an internet company called SourcingLink. They were started out as an IBM partner doing supply chain management kinds of things, the logistics, and he said, we're in trouble, I need your help. And so he hired me as the CTO, and I did that for a couple of years. Uh, we were in the Bay Area and in San Diego, and they were in trouble. They had a solution that was based on Lotus Notes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope no one here wrote Lotus Notes. It might have been a great application for what it was originally intended for, but these guys have gone way beyond what it was intended for. And we're treating it like a, an operating system slash programming environment that it was not intended to be. And so we, we got that all moved over to Microsoft SQL Server. And, and ironically, Microsoft gave us a lot of money to do that. <laughs> um, I, I guess they were desperate for applications on their solutions at the time. I don't know. Had a lot of fun doing that. And we're thinking about, we were thinking at that time of moving back to California because obviously, I fell in love with San Diego for the 10 years I was there. Uh, I had lived in, Orange, in uh, Orange County for a couple of years. My wife was from Orange County. Three of our four children were born in San Diego. Thinking of moving back, and then um, a neighbor knocks on the door. They're starting up a company called FlipDog in Provo. Anybody ever heard of FlipDog? At one time, it was the world's largest job board. We had a million jobs. We had a million resumes. We were getting more than a million unique visitors a month. And uh, so who's the biggest job board now? Monster. 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 There are a lot of very big ones. I think Monster's still the biggest. Um, and at that time, they, uh, we were neck and neck with a number of jobs. They, they had much more infrastructure and a, a much better solution than we had. But ours was based on a technology that would crawl the web and just pull the jobs in automatically rather than wait for them to be placed. Of course, we had a model that the employers could place jobs as well. Anyway, it was very fun. Um, we, when I, I joined the company as the VP of engineering, and they didn't have one at the time, incredibly enough, the CTO was over all of that, and he was spread too thin. It was actually two companies, Whizbang Labs, the parent company, and Flipdog as the child company, to be one example of what you could do with the Whizbang technology, the web crawling technology. And uh, my opinion was they found the perfect application of it with their first child company, Flipdog. Anyway, long story short, there's, there's so much that happened there. Uh, the chairman of Whizbang made me the COO, and well, he put me over marketing as well, and then he made me the COO, and then he made me the CEO, firing himself and keeping himself as chairman of the whole thing. And then the board said, they had raised $30 million, said, we need more money, let's sell FlipDog. 
And so I did the dog and pony show and took Flip Dog out on the road and Monster came in with the biggest offer. I mean, it was big. It was, it was multiple digit millions uh, for Flip Dog, of which I got about this much and original investors got about this much. Uh, but yeah, Flip Dog was sold to Monster and they very quickly took all the technology, put it into what they were doing and ratcheted down what Flip Dog was doing. But in my wisdom, I had negotiated a um, special contracts for myself and all the executive team that if they did anything like that and decided to let us go, we'd get a year at full salary. And, uh, <laughs> so, so I found myself again with uh, forced retirement. What am I going to do? And uh, made some friends in Tennessee. This is just to show you how crazy my career is. And one of them was a cardiac anesthesiologist, another one a Harvard MBA, and another one owned some sonic drive-ins. Who's familiar with sonic drive-ins? The one who owned the sonic drive-ins had about two dozen of them at the time. And the cardiac anesthesiologist said to the Harvard MBA and me, we gotta get in this business. Look at this, look at Dave. He drives around in his big black Mercedes. He doesn't work. He's making all this money. And I said, fine, I'll invest with you guys, but I don't wanna have anything to do with it on a day-to-day -day basis. And so when we moved back to Utah, they said, hey, Sonic's gonna expand to Utah. Let's get the county that you live in. So we got exclusive rights in that county, hired someone to run it, so none of us had to be involved. And about a year into it, we realized, okay, if this thing is really gonna take off, one of us three has to be in this thing every day. So um, guess who the one of the three was? <laughs> I became a fast food guy. Can you believe that? From Apple II to fast food? Have you ever seen the game Fast Food Tycoon or something? Somebody gave me that as kind of a joke. Uh, <laughs> so we, we uh, built up our market, got up to six Sonic drive-ins, and then in 2008, I sold it all. Very lucky timing as far as I'm concerned. Because even though the experts say the economy started the downturn in 07, I didn't see it early in 08. So we, uh, we sold that, got a, a very pretty penny for it, and that was almost 10 years after we got the exclusive rights for Sonic in that county, and found myself again with nothing to do, and that's when I ran into the founder of iPreserve. Uh, my son was actually working there, and he's a very smart technology guy, got a lot of energy, a million ideas, he's not a businessman. And unfortunately, somewhere along the path in my career, I hopped over the fence to the dark side, I told somebody, <laughs> and I got an MBA. <laughs> so I know how to run businesses, and anyway, I filled the bill for when you started. When, 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 when did you use that before you started the MBA? Yeah, yeah. When, when did you get your MBA? Uh, I went back to school in 2002, and got it uh, completed in 04 at UCLA. I actually commuted from Utah to California Whoa. because I wanted to go to a top 10 school. Um, and I never would have thought of going to a top 10 school, but I took a GMAT prep class, and the first night we took a test to see how we were doing, and the guy saw my score and he said, you could go to a top 10 school. And I said, what does that mean? That's so stupid. Uh, so anyway, that got me thinking, wheels turning. What's the closest one to Utah? Okay, UCLA. I like California. So anyway. Hopped over to the dark side. Now I'm running this business I preserve. We uh, are franchising ourselves. We have 15 locations, a couple of which are not open. We're in Utah, Idaho, Oregon, New Jersey, unopened in California, unopened in Florida, Mexico, 
this close to being in South Africa, of all places, <laughs> very close to being in Canada. Um, I, uh, it digitized, we digitized media, A to Z, so old film, 8 mil, 16 mil, sound, no sound, we don't care, video, photos, slides, negatives, audio of all kinds, books, magazines, newspapers, you name it, we digitize it and give it back to you in whatever format you want. Most people want it either on their hard drive or on a DVD. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the day that we have maybe 100, 150 offices around the country or around the world. And that's kind of where I am now. Um, I, I'm sure I've missed a couple of funny stories that I wanted to tell along the way. If you have any questions for me, I would love to answer them. Yes? Did you tell me the story about the, the Legal Buddy program to me as a user group leader? Oh, and that time, that was the best. We thing, as far as I was concerned, for promoting your product, getting product support at the local level so they didn't have to try to get you down. You know, I think Chuck Newby came up with the and idea. Chuck Newby was the person. I think he was the original legal buddy. And the idea was to have at least one person in every user group or in every geography that would be an evangelist for Beagle and our software. And I can't remember all the things that we incentivized them with. I think we gave them free software and free software and, as always, and better software. access to the programmers. And it worked very well. It was, excuse me, it was so nice. It was like having a dedicated Beagle employee in all of those locations. So uh, thank you, Chuck. It was a little stroke of genius that he had. Chuck was a government employee. He worked for the Social Security Administration, as I recall. Uh, but he constantly had great ideas, and he loved us, and we loved him, and he loved you know, Beagle products. Good question. Yes? I'm curious, that with your very career that you had after the Apple II, because you did do a lot after um, you finished that, what was your reaction when you were asked to come here to be your keynote speaker? Well, um, like I told someone upstairs, I was at the very first one of these in 1989, and it was on the board, whatever that was. Alan Bird came with me. I remember Barney Stone was here. I guess Tom was here. Tom still lived here back then, uh, Tom Weiser. And it was a lot of fun. I, I do have one uh, horrible memory of that 89 uh, conference. I was in the restroom during a break with Alan Bird. He was at the sink next to me. And he went to pump the soap into his hand, and his hand was so close to the thing that it shot, shot liquid soap all over my pants. It looked like I had an accident, a horrible accident. I remember being so mad at Alan, who's one of my best friends in the whole world. Uh, so my reaction, I haven't answered your question. I thought, they can't possibly want to hear from me about what it was like back in the day. And then uh, Ken and I traded quite a few emails, and I thought, okay, they do. And I have just had a blast digging through my old files, thinking about uh, the old days. And I wrote a quote, the happiest time of my career life was programming the Apple II, exclamation, right there. Um, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Um, quite frankly, it really makes me want to do some more 6502 programming. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come right to you. I was digging through boxes in an extra room in our house. I still have printouts of all of my programs. I mean, I have them on disk, but I have printouts. The actual printouts of every program I ever wrote. And I just flipped through them going, wow. Wow. <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> anyway, it was a lot of fun.
So I really appreciate the invitation. It's been a blast. Yeah, how, 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 how did you get the idea for um, Beagle Graphics? It was actually the first Beagle software package that I Let's see, what was the genesis for Beagle Graphics? It was when Double High Res came out. And I knew that the great thing about, oh, this reminds me of another story too, and then I'll come to you, Ivan. So the great thing about being a certified developer, which Beagle was, you know, you get all the advanced stuff. You get the prototypes, you get the software, you hear what's coming, you get invited to meetings. Um, I remember hearing, you know, that they're coming out with double high res, and it's like, people are gonna need a graphics package for double high res, and so I talked to Bert and just, Started programming my brains out. And interestingly, on Beagle Graphics, there was another package called Double Stuff. Do you remember it? And there was an artist who had created a picture for the guys who did Double Stuff, who did a picture for us too that we included in the very first version of Beagle Graphics that caused those guys at Double Stuff to want to sue Beagle. They're like, we know because you have this guy's picture on your desk that you stole code from Double Stuff. I mean, we were developing at the same time, and anybody who knew anything about 6502 could look at it and go, these are two entirely different programs. Uh, but boy, it put, it put the beard and Bert and Sharon, and they ripped that picture off the disk and reissued the second version very quickly. So I have always loved graphics. I remember in college doing a very simple graphics program. What did I use? You were among the first to do this Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, one of my professors was way into graphics. He had some presentations using four dimensions that would take overnight to generate on a mainframe. Anyway, just always loved graphics. Um, the thing that it reminded me of, and then I'll come to you, Ivan, getting the prototypes from Apple. I remember, I think it was 84, I had a prototype of the first Apple IIc. Wouldn't that have been about 84? Yeah. And we, we had a family vacation planned, and I had some code I had to finish. <laughs> yeah, the Apple IIc. <laughs> Um, I was working, I think, at the time on Beagle Graphics and Triple Dump. I think I was working on those two. And so, life in my family, when everyone on vacation, the kids go to bed, dad's programming. <laughs> Mom's not getting any attention. Uh, it's too bad. She's a wonderful lady. She's gotten attention since then. Anyway, so, long story short, while we're on vacation, out of state, living in San Diego, out of state, some Einstein, 16 years old, brand new driver's license, runs a red light, totals our car totals our car. So when the vacation's over, we got a rental car, the vacation's over, we have to fly home. We fly home, land in San Diego. At the baggage plane, we get there, and I see somebody in the distance with a bag that looks exactly like mine. It's before the bags with wheels. It's carrying this big, heavy Samson item. But man, that looks a lot like the one my parents gave me when I graduated from high school. But went back to the carousel, I was like, wait a minute, there's all of our other bags. I went after this guy. I said, excuse me, I think you've mistakenly taken my bag. Pretty polite, huh? Um, and the guy turns around and sees me, drops the bag, and runs. That was the bag with the 2C prototype in it. Can you imagine how ticked Apple would have been at me if I would have lost that prototype? They, they yes, might have said, you would be famous now. Yeah. OK, you had a question. Yeah. Um, it seemed like, you know, certainly at the outset there were a lot of tools for, for programmers or users, you know, things like DOSBoss and things, you know, 
that are sort of a little more low level as opposed to something in Apple Works, which is you know a little more application based within an application. Did, was there ever sort of a uh, a feeling of change in the in the company identity in terms of making these more application oriented projects as opposed to user oriented products as opposed to developer oriented? It products? kind of happened in steps. So yeah. Definitely, the people who were buying Apple II's when DOSBoss and FlexText came out, they were hobbyists. And most hobbyists either knew how to program or wanted to learn how to program. In fact, most were self-taught. And um, so that was the market. By the time we got around to things like Beagle Graphics, it was a hybrid program. There was an application in there that you could draw with and do some really cool things but it was also available to programmers with the commands that you could use to put high -res, double high-res graphics in your own programs. Uh, triple dump, kind of the same thing. It was an application, but you could also use it, if you're a little more sophisticated, in your own software. And so that was kind of our half step from utilities to applications, and then we took the full step, of course, from timeout right, and Apple Works. So kind of along with the users. Along with the users, more Apple II, uh, buyers didn't know anything about programming, didn't want to know anything about programming. It was a tool to them. The computer was not a fun toy box to play in and experiment with. It was a tool to get something done. But for all of us, it will always be a fun toy box to play in. And you occasionally get things done on it. At me. Yeah. Yes. Well, you sold the uh, Apple II uh, software for quality, and then I guess the, the Macintosh to uh, work perfect. What happened to Beagle Bros as a, as a company? I kept it alive for a while. For a long time, I remained a certified developer because I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, actually, during that four-year first retirement, I created the two big posters, 24-inch by 36-inch posters that came as a match set of every chord the Beatles ever played. <laughs> I just know it's a weird thing to do. I'm a music nut and I play the guitar. So I went through all their songs and uh, anyway, it was, it's this amazing chart. It's 200 and some odd chords. And at the bottom of it, I had the Beagle logo, Beagle Bros Inc. And I, I said, uh, you know, remember how Bert used to say Apple's a trademark of you know who? I put the Beatles is a trademark of you know who. So I did use it that one instance. A few years back, I finally stopped paying California the franchise uh, that corporations have to pay. It's a fee of six or eight hundred dollars or something. And so, technically, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, no one has the trademark. One of you could run out and try to trademark it. <laughs> there was a fellow who had uh, the web address, BeagleBros.com. I don't know if he still does. He had it for a long time. I thought many times over the last at least dozen years. I want to do a Beagle tribute website, but then, you know, there are a couple of really good ones there already, and so maybe I'll just, whatever they don't have, uh, scan it or get it scanned at my company and send it to them, just to flesh those out, fill them out. Good question. Yes? Did you reclassify the software as freeware for people? I, th I think we did all of that. I think all of the software we put out there and said it's free to distribute, free to use, free to own, free to have, a long time ago. I think maybe even when I was at WordPerfect or shortly thereafter, yeah, including the documentation. It, there's, I mean, you know it was always unprotected. We never protected anything. And, and I believe it's been 
decade and a half at least. That's all been built. So there's a shining example. Thanks. <laughs> what the Kelsey's? Kelsey's. The Kersey's. Kersey's. Why did they want to? Why sell? did they want to sell? That's a good question. Thank you for asking that. Bert and Sharon had worked really hard. Like I remember, I told you I was burnt out uh, when I left Work Perfect after two years and needed some time off. I think Bert was feeling the same way because, excuse me, he was really wearing a lot of hats. You know, he was such a great graphic artist. He put so much effort into all of these catalogs, into all the ads. There's so much tiny stuff in here. Um, yeah. Yeah. So he, he was programming, he was doing creative with the ads, the catalogs, the manuals, the boxes. The one and two liners? Yeah. Who came up with those one and two liners? He came up with most of them. Some were sent in by users. We occasionally have contests and people would send things unsolicited. But I, I just think he was tired. He started the company in 1980 and I bought it in 87. That's a long time to be the main guy. Um, and I, did, I learned so much sitting beside him, learned how to paste up ads and manuals and, and doing graphics and the importance of this, that, and the other thing. And that's quite frankly part of the reason why Alan and I started the Software Touch. I thought I had learned so much from Bert that rather than get a 20% royalty, hey, I'll, you know, I'll keep 80% and give somebody else a 20% royalty. <laughs> that sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> it's that dark side business talking to me. <laughs> He essentially retired, although he did a couple of a couple of ventures. He has one now called Backyard Owls or Barnyard Owls or Backyard Barnyard Owls or something. What is the name of that website? Barnowls.com. Barnowls.com. Thank you. It's really fun. It's just one of his hobbies. He has a train hobby. He has a bird hobby. He likes fast cars. Well, he lives out in the country. He lives in Fallbrook. Beautiful. Yes. When I first met him, I went into his house. And through, I don't know how many of the rooms, about this level, there's a platform about that wide and a train set running. And there's holes, there's a little hole in every wall. It goes through all the rooms at that level. <laughs> He's a train nut. But did, did you ever, at the time, before you licensed the quality, did, did, did you ever formally discontinue any Beagle titles? Or just keep selling whatever? I don't believe we ever formally discontinued anything. As long as we had inventory, I think we always had inventory of everything. We never discontinued anything. So even though we may not advertise it during a particular time frame, someone could call in and order it. I remember that specifically several times they called and get something. The old gossip on three days, someone had to have it. I ever sold it. What was it about the Apple II that, like, you were already doing plenty of was what enchanted you, you know, and it doesn't sound as though you spent much time with its peers or, or the IBM PC when it came out. Why Apple II? A, a couple of reasons. Um, even though when I first started programming, I didn't know 6502, I really liked the assembly language. I remember my first computer class at school was PL1 and fell in love with programming because of that class. It was for back then, a high-level language. The second semester in computer science, Deck 10 assembly, I didn't get it. I did not get it. There was no manual, there's no book, there's no textbook. So we had notes from the professor, and I remember one day tearing my hair out, looking at this code, not getting it. 
and just going through it line by line by line by line. And then one day, luckily early in the semester, the light came on. It was like all of a sudden, okay, I've got kind of a memory map in my head and here's the registers and this is what's going on. And it all made sense. Everything fell into place. For me, it was a huge epiphany. For everyone else, it was probably just obvious, but maybe I'm dumber than that, which I don't know. So I wanted to get back into assembly. And um, also, Quite frankly, it's what I—it's the micro that I had experience with a little bit. And when I looked at the other stuff out there, the PET and the Trash 80, and I don't remember the other ones, the Sinclair, and yeah, I thought those—they just—they don't strike the chord in me that the Apple II strikes. And you know, as a programmer, all of you know, you know, when you fall in love with something. And it's a world, you know, it's a world that you have inside the computer, it's your domain, your little universe, your God. And you tell the planets where to move, and um, that's quite addictive and quite empowering. And I'm, I'm just glad that the luck part of it, I had to pick the Apple II and not something stupid like the pet or the Trash 80. So. <laughs> no offense to people with pets and Trash 80. You're a recovering programmer. Maybe if somebody had fallen in love with them, they would have gone better. <laughs> maybe, maybe. But, you know, I, I think knowing what I know now, none of those had the architecture. None of them had an equivalent of was. You know, you, it was such a simple operating system, simple architecture, and that was the beauty of it, yet expandable. Open. Yeah, it was completely open. And the elegance of it all. I fell in love with the elegance of it all. And I'm so grateful there was a Steve Wozniak. Have you met him? Yes. Very, we had very him here as a, as a keynote speaker one time. That was a lot of fun. The thrill of my life when I met him and he told me, he was telling me about my software that he had bought and, <laughs> and had used or was using. Thrill of my life. <laughs> That's great. Was, um, did, did Be was BeagleBros ever tempted to write PC utilities once that market was obviously huge? When Bert owned the company, they actually did write one PC program. I forget the name of it. He and Jack Cassidy did it. I cannot remember the name of it. I, I think they had marginal success with it. There was Bert's big tip that was the Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I had no interest in doing those. I mean, you know, I've had to use PCs and Windows and all that throughout my life because everyone has to. But yeah, I was never tempted to program or anything. So. Yeah, good questions. Yes. So, what happened with that prototype 2C? <laughs> well, maybe you have it. <laughs> see another one? <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they told us it was called the Lolly. Has anybody yeah, heard that name? It says, the lolly, it says the Lolly Drive on, on the drive on there. Yeah. And I understand they had some other nicknames, some other uh, code names, so they could find out who it was that was leaking information to the press. <laughs> the evil press. They even had an uncritical one, I think, for the QC. Is that right? A little app or something. <laughs> You guys are asking great questions, Ken. When I first emailed you about this opportunity, your first response was, 
how did you find me? <laughs> and, I thought I'd become invisible. Well, I don't, it's not that I think you went into hiding, but obviously you pursued other interests in Seattle too, and so has Bert Kersey with his trains and his owls. On the other end of the spectrum is Bruce Rosenblum, who 25 years ago did Sideways, which lets you print spreadsheets in landscape for, uh, format, yeah. and now he's doing XML uh, programs for Microsoft Office, so he's still doing uh, text manipulation. So what causes some programmers to dabble in Apple II and then do other things, even though that left a huge impression, and not stick with that, whereas other people, 25 years later, this is all they want to do? You know, I have decided, I've thought about that, and Bruce Rosenblum is a great guy. We used a company that he was at called Turning Point Software to help us with LegalWorks. A lot of good memories of uh, Tim Tepper and Bruce and the guys there. I, I, I think I've decided that I am a serial entrepreneur. I look back across my career and I see all these things that I start up and build up and then sell. Yikes. <laughs> there, there's other things that I did that I didn't include in my career overview. I've had a couple of musical instrument companies. Um, yeah, I. I'm not a serial murderer, but I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I, I get a big, you didn't kill any of the companies. Yeah, no. I get a big thrill of starting things up um, or coming into something that's relatively young and improving it, building it up, and seeing it be successful. And then I also get a big thrill from selling it. Does that say? You're the opposite of the come in, buy it up, and tear it apart and sell the parts. Yeah. How many companies have you sold? Oh gosh. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Five that I can remember. How many did you found that were unsellable? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I founded a couple that I, like, I founded a consulting company that was just me that I folded into Beagle. I found it software touch that I folded into Beagle. I had to buy out Alan Bird, but then I folded it into Beagle. Um, one of the musical instrument companies I shut down. I couldn't find a buyer for it. And the other one is on the back burner. I have a couple of partners in it, and it remains to be seen if that's going to sell or not. But I, I got into both of those just because I love music. I love playing the guitar. I love musical effects. And I. Uh, I'm in an old man's rock and roll band. We play classic rock. We play college football games, weddings, high school reunions, Apple Gun conferences, general parties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've had the opportunity because of those two companies to meet all of my heroes, like Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top and Peter Frampton and Adrian Ballou. And I just saw Paul McCartney last week in Salt Lake. They all use your products. So what's your next? What's your next company? I don't know. I'm still. I'm in the middle of this one. I feel like this one's got at least, at least two years, maybe longer, before it will be built up big enough to sell it to somebody. And then maybe I'll retire for good. I'm not sure I've got the retirement thing down either. <laughs> uh, you may have answered this question already, but uh, do you have a favorite Beagle Brothers software product? A favorite Beagle software product. Wow, that's a tough one, you know, because they're like my children. Especially the ones that I wrote. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, I uh, I would have a hard time saying which of my four children is my favorite. <laughs> but of my software programs, or of all the Beagle software programs, hmm, hmm, hmm. 
That is really, really, really hard to answer. I, I don't think I can answer that. Yeah. Which was your favorite Apple II magazine? Talk, I love Nibble. I loved Insider. A plus was okay. Call Apple was it's for programmers. Yeah. I mean, all the other ones had a mixed audience. Call Apple was down and dirty, and I loved that. Do you uh, stay in contact with the other people? I, I see and talk to John Obert once in a while, Alan Bird once in a while. Randy Brandt less frequently. Rob Renstrom almost never, although I'd love to see him. Tom Weiser, I just reached out to again because I haven't talked to him in two many years. Okay, so he's in New York now. Yeah. Yeah. Unless he came back. I just reached out to him today. I said, you won't believe where I am. What do you take? He hasn't responded yet. I'll see if I have a response when we go back to Pronto DOS and frame up for his two to fame and then open Apple and A2 Central. I think uh, congratulate on the office on the one day that's here. I've got the reaction more or less. They were tired of it and they didn't feel they got enough out of it. So I look at the things you guys are doing here and I read through what you did last year. It's amazing what you're doing. I don't know how you can say you're not getting enough out of it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, one of the authors of that. Oh, oh. Jobs. I see. Uh, Bert Kersey, I, we trade emails once in a while. I haven't actually physically seen him since about, wow, it's probably been almost 10 years. Took him out to lunch in San Diego. I didn't. You know what? You want to hear something funny? My youngest daughter, for whatever reason, Googled my name two, three, maybe four weeks ago, and up comes this Kansas Fest announcement. And the next day, she's like, Dad, are you going to Kansas? <laughs> I said, yeah, how did you know? She said, I was Googling your name and this thing popped up. <laughs> What's your current personal use or involvement of with, uh, involvement with computers now? Are you simply a user? Is it simply a business tool? I'm really, really sad to say I'm mostly just a business user, although I do like to do crazy things with Excel spreadsheets. Um, yeah, I still own three Apple IIs. I have my original 2 Plus, my first 2E, and my first 2GS. And unfortunately, at this point in my life, I'm sad that I sold all the rest of them. At one point in time at Beagle, we had every version of every Apple II and every version of uh, Max up to that point through the early 90s, and for whatever reason, I've given away or sold or thrown away. What do you use now? Uh, I, I love this MacBook Pro. That's just my go-to computer. I also have some Windows crappy laptops. This conference has inspired me. I am going to turn all three Apple IIs back on. That reminds me, I, I have a, I think it's a 10 meg hard drive on one of those Apple IIs. My very first hard drive 
was five May, and it was about this oh, yeah. big. I forget the name brand. Was it a cider? Probably a cider. I think that's what it was. Because I saw that booth right next to you. I think. I think that cost yeah. almost two thousand dollars. Did it not? Well, the cider was pretty cheap. But the gorgeous cider was like seven thousand. I think the cider was like seven. Whatever I had, I swear it was almost two thousand dollars. Yeah, well, the, the early quarter was five megabytes. I just bought a one point five terabyte drive for ninety nine bucks. <laughs> <laughs> think about that spread. Really? I mean, it's it's thousands of a penny per gig or yeah, something. Yeah. Versus, it would have been like four hundred thousand dollars for a gig <laughs> back then. Yes. It's, it's mind-boggling. I mean, I love, I love that. You only need a sixty-four k, forty-eight k in memory to make a computer. Well, do you remember when Bill Gates said no one should ever need more than six hundred forty k? Do you remember that? <laughs> well, he was right. <laughs> yeah. It's funny the things you guys are reminding me of. Good questions. Anything else? I didn't even start playing with personal computers until 86. I had learned Fortran and fiddled around with digital stuff in the, in the service and from, uh, from 70 to 69. But uh, I just didn't see computers as being much fun other than, you know, as a communications device. And then I uh, got turned on to Ultima 2 in 85 and became addicted immediately got the first Apple II GS in, in my county, and uh, I went to, I think I went to my first Apple Fest in 88 or 89, and I know that I saw you at a Beagle's booth. Yeah, we had a big booth. Yeah. It was different than the pictures that I showed you. We had I a big booth. I was collecting timeout stuff. <laughs> anyway, I, I really missed the Apple Fest. They were a lot of fun. They, yeah. We had a great time. Sorry? Were you tying knots in string then? I've been tying knots since I was 10 years old, but I've only been getting public in the last. Yeah, it, it's grown over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I, for several years, used loading timeout, about 50 timeout applications as my described speed test. Oh, <laughs> Oh, that's just the, you know, these. Oh, yeah, those. Oh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Bert created these, and he had his buddy Fred Crone draw them for him. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves those. I was recently telling somebody about these, because they were talking about some warning label on something. <laughs> oh, here's some interesting semi-interesting things. Very interesting to me. Maybe interesting to you. Let's see. That's at a, that's either an Apple Fest or a Macworld. I don't remember which. Hmm. At our booth. Also at our booth. Oh, that's at Macworld. They're introducing BeagleWorks. Let's see. This is at the Old Town office. When Bert and Sharon finally moved out of their attic, really beautiful attic that they had remodeled for the Beagle offices. Anyway, first anniversary party at the building in Old Town where they leased off the space. That's, uh... What year was that? This was... Let's see. What city was it? San Diego. The Old Town part of San Diego. Let's see. Based on the age of my oldest daughter, 
I would guess that was, let's see, 85. My wife, two of my four kids, Alan Bird, his wife, his kids, Liz Burrell, office manager, Rob Renstrom, Bert Kersey, Sharon, holding one of Sharon Tainberg's twins, Randy Brandt and his wife and their little baby, me, and Jack Cassidy. Me and uh, the older of my two younger brothers at a show. I'm not sure. That's an Apple Fest or a Mac World. <laughs> Everybody gave me a cake called the World's Greatest Boston. Very funny. Okay, back to the beginning. That's mostly interesting stuff. So, any other questions? Yes. Larger publisher, what's your relationship like with Apple aside from like the prototype? And they come and say, Here's what we have coming down the pipe, we want you to develop for it. We had a very good relationship. I only ever really had one complaint with Apple, and it was they didn't give the Apple II enough attention. <laughs> they, they did treat us very well. We got all the prototypes, we got all the the looks at whatever software or campaigns or whatever was coming down the pike. Um, they did very nice things. I remember one time, for what seemed like no reason at all, they flew me first class from San Diego up to Cupertino to meet with them. Uh, I got to meet with Steve Jobs and, and John Scully at the time. And I remember, I don't remember if it was that occasion or another time, begging them before the release of the 2GS to increase the resolution, you know, from yeah. 192 lines to whatever it is. It's been so long since I've programmed the GS, I can't remember. How many lines of resolution? 200. 200. 200. 1 400. I want to double what it was. Yeah. Yeah. The video chip was capable of doing 400 interlaced, but they decided not to do it. When they came up with the video overlay card, they allowed that option. I was convinced that they were crippling it on purpose so they so wouldn't compete with the Mac. Right. Maybe from their yes. point of view it made sense, but it really made me as an Apple II programmer really upset. Yeah. But other than that, they were very good to me. I loved them.
you know that, I mean, Rosetta's already an optional install in Snow Leopard. You know it's gone in the next release, and then all your PowerPC apps are gone. So, you know, it's out of date or untired. I think their experience with the Apple II actually convinced many of the management engineering staff that having revealing the low-level architecture to that degree made it really impossible to evolve the architecture and keep pace with technology, which is why all the Apple IIs run at one megahertz. So when they did the Macintosh, they shielded all the low-level details from any outside use, and that allowed them to evolve and keep going. And of course, you wouldn't ever have Apple II compatibility without uh, <laughs> you know, buried or something. Any other questions? I see people falling asleep. We might be done. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to meet everyone. If you would like to to meet me, I'd love to meet you. Uh, it may mean nothing to you, or it might mean something to you. But I'd love to shake your hand and meet you. I Two commands chart. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can borrow one. Yeah.